Before we get going into your Hockey IQ podcast episode, I want to thank our sponsor, Rapid Shot. Rapid Shot is the smart shooting lane. Uh, it's like a batting cage for hockey players. Very cool. Tracks your shot in three ways. Accuracy, shot speed, and reaction time. Uh, easy to use. Uh, actually, I used it when I played and was growing up. Very easy. Simply scan your phone in, select your settings, and start shooting. Uh, you can see your stats on the app and online. And you can check them out at rapidshot.com. Uh, great small business. I actually grew up with one of the owner's sons and have played with all the family members by now. Uh, just in local pickups here in Ohio. Very cool local business. Awesome product. I love it. I know quite a few NHLers have them in their homes. Uh, a lot of D1 programs have it at their rinks. So you have to check this out. Rapidshot.com. Check it out. Rapidshot, thank you so much for sponsoring our podcast. On the Hockey IQ podcast today, we bring on Adam Nicholas, uh, Stride Envy Hockey. Uh, I believe that's formerly known as Stride Envy Hockey. Now it's just Adam, the beast, the man, the myth, the legend himself. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me, Greg. Really looking forward to chatting theories and player development with you today. Yeah, it's going to be great. Um, and let's just you know dive straight into it. So you, you've talked about the war is not the war of attrition when we're on the brink. It's more of a war, a war of cognition. Uh, what do you mean when you talk about a war of cognition? So this has been for years when I first started in player development, so many uh, coaches and, and experts were telling me that you can't build hockey IQ. Um, and obviously that has grown now. And I really believe uh, when I study the, the brain side of motor learning and you really look at how objectives really drive movements um, and when you're trying to do something you're going to then try to force your body to do certain things to try to obtain that objective <laughs> um, and so for me that's where I, I started to think more along the lines of cognition like how do we think the game what is the game of hockey about and for years, when you like, I used to, I started my journey here in, in player development when I started coaching. And when I started coaching, I put together this entire book of like what our D zone structure is going to look like, what our four checks going to look like. And I gave these, this book to, to the parents of the team, not the kids, the parents. Um, and, and why I gave it to the parents is so that they could be on the same page of what we were trying to accomplish with our 10 year olds so that when the kids are in the car, um, they were able to talk to them intelligently because obviously you only get the kids three hours a week as a coach. So the more you can lighten the parents, because the parents are going to talk to the kids, you know, more than you do. So the more you can actually enlighten them and educate them on the game, um, that would uh, really help itself and, and, and help the kids get better. So that's where I, where I started with a lot of, uh, a lot of my practices. And then I realized that what happened when I was coaching youth hockey uh, throughout these years is we just leveraged the best players. So the kids that were the most advanced motor from a motor skill perspective, we would just use them and leverage them to win hockey games. You go out and you recruit the best goalie, you recruit the best forwards and the best D. And so I realized at that moment, well, actually I didn't realize this. It, I realized this about five, six years ago that that was really, really bad. Um, and that's why, people believed in it was a it was a sprint 
to become a better skater, a better stick handler, a better shooter. And, and that's where the skill industry really took off. And so our game became more about how much physically better can you be than everyone else? Um, and there's players in the NHL that I think are absolutely electric, um, but I wouldn't use them to actually teach the game of hockey because all they do is leverage their physicalities uh, against everybody else. And, and it's great that they do that because they hit the genetic lottery. But what about those who don't have those genetics and are unable to actually impose their physical elements to, to have advantages? Um, and so when COVID-19, oh, sorry, yeah, COVID-19 hit, um, I, it really put me in that lens of, all right, I got to actually understand what our game is about. And so then I went down a rabbit hole of understanding principles and, and how principles lend themselves to being able to create advantages. And, and if you view the game through a principle lens, you start thinking differently. Um, you start looking at motor skills as assets and tools rather than the game. Um, and so when I realized that I started to really reach outside of hockey and talk with soccer, football, um, basketball, and lacrosse coaches and, and, and why they teach certain things. Um, so that's why I start, started to believe it was the war of attrition, uh, sorry, the war of cognition over attrition and, and understanding that it's, it's how much smarter you can be uh, than the next person. So you're, you're training cognition, but how does one actually go about making sure that we're actually teaching it? Because my biggest issue with a lot of coaches is the fact that they are teaching, and I'll put that in air quotes, but really what they're teaching is their kids to mimic what they want to see rather than yep. actually teaching them things that the players can then be empowered with and utilize on their own, which is a whole other thing. So, that, so that's, it's funny you ask that, but there's, there's been a huge shift where everybody's trying to do patterns and pattern recall. And, and what happens is there's no such thing as set patterns and sequences in hockey. There's just situations like a puck goes into that corner, but, the pattern is never going to be the same there when that player goes into the corner. It's going to change every single time based off the puck, the pressure, the, the support, the situation, the time in the game. It's going to lend itself to different ways to express that solution. And so that's where uh, I went down a rabbit hole with doing sequencing and patterning with no pressure. And what happens, again, when you understand the brain and you teach it that way, the brain does remember that pattern but it's not going to remember that pattern at the right time. And you're not going to express the, You're not going to have a success rate very high. If you use the same sequence of pattern, every single situation, it's because the situations all change. So if you constantly do the same thing every single time, eventually uh, you're going to get very frustrated because you're not going to garner that success. You might do it one time and someone can show a practice to game transfer video and say, Hey, look what we did. But one time is not success. That's just, you were able to show and express that situation in one instance of the game, but there were 20 other attempts that you failed at. So it doesn't matter if we, we worked on it, you expressed it one time, you tried to do it 20 other times and you failed. So that's not true player development. Player development is being able to increase someone's success rate within a specific environment, right? In, in environmental knowledge. So the way to do this, and this is where um, I, I, I've been very, I would say, gung-ho about in terms of small area games and the way we do small area games 
is great, but a lot of times those small area games are designed for motor learning. It's and so every time you do a small area game, in many ways, the best players are always the best players, no matter what. And the reason is, is because they're expressing and they're using motor skills to have success within that small game. They're not learning how to problem solve different unique pressures within environments. And environmental knowledge is massively important to actually have success. And that's why you see players within the National Hockey League that might not have the best shot, might not have be the best skaters, be able to play in the league and be big time players in the league and, and, and really you contribute to the league's success. And, and so for that, that's where you have to start thinking, well, why are they, why are they impactful when, when they can't skate that well, they can't handle a puck that well. Well, there's there, they play the game a lot, right? Like, so I would say, Greg, about, I don't know, 10 years ago, he used to tell me, don't play tournaments. And I still believe that. But if you have the right coach and the right amount of players, you actually should play tournaments if they're going to be teaching you and you're going to be learning through that tournament phase, because now you're going to get environmental knowledge, going to get game game understanding and when you have game understanding and now you go and work on specific skill sets after those games now you're going to actually as a player know where to take those skills and apply them um and, and you got probably everybody listening knows about the, the the mohawk skill that was trending for like five years and everybody was doing it on instagram mohawk this and that and or ten and two, whatever you call it but a lot of players just didn't know how to express it correctly so then coaches didn't like it and, and so they were expressing it at the wrong times. They were using it, over, overusing it. Um, and, and that happens a lot when you mimic those motor learning pat, pat, uh, patterns, right? And so that's where, when I started to understand objectives and principles and, and the actual finite de- uh, you know, objectives of the game, you then start to create games differently because the Bill Beanie uh, at Middlebury was, you know, an architect of small area games and he won. Well, the thing about Bill Beanie's teams when he was winning is they, they were ridiculous. They were really good at the division three level. His brother, Jeff uh, at USM, he didn't have very high cognitive players and he played the same games, played the same style. Yet he only had a 200 winning percentage. So if you're telling me that small area games build hockey at Q, you're dead wrong because I actually was a part of that issue. I played at USM for Jeff and we played small games literally for two hours every single day. We played a left wing lock, just like Middlebury. And unfortunately we could not win. And there's a variety of different reasons why, but smaller games doesn't help build cognition. It, it helps build and, and refine motor skills under pressure. That's what it does. But cognition is environmental knowledge, understanding how to play, within certain spots on the ice. And, and what I, I tell players all the time, I feel the biggest area that they don't have a, an elite understanding is, is in the offensive zone. So I use the offensive zone as my way to teach cognition. And the reason I say this to the players is because one, everybody believes the NHL is transitional hockey. And two, um, most of these kids, when they go to the NHL, their entire lives would score off the rush. They'd go end to end and score, end to end and score, end to end and score. So of course the game is transition to rush or rush oriented is because it's all these players have known for their entire hockey existence. So their brains are wired in that direction. And then you've got the occasional Patrick Keynes in, in the world that had to figure out a different way to become ultra exceptional elite. And so he actually developed pathways of how to play in the zone and uh, different objectives to, you know, use and, 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 you know, use his skill sets to create those advantages because he had physical constraints, which were his lack of speed, his lack of ability to carry the puck up the ice. Those things 
are where he developed that environmental knowledge inside the offensive zone. So in order to teach hockey IQ, you've got to put players in spots where the situations are randomized and these players can really express express different ways under pressure within a gamified setting to work on different movement patterns to problem solve the solution. Okay, way to just drop a massive ton on us of things that we need to unpack there uh, that could take seven days, um, no sleep. Yep. Fantastic. Um, let's let's maybe back up to something that might be a little shocking for a lot of coaches, players, etc., parents even. Uh, small area games, refined motor skills under pressure, but do not build cognitive skills. Let's start there. In, in your thought process behind that? Yeah. So for an example, let's say we play just, we'll just do a random three on three cross ice. Okay. You move the nets, you put them sideways. And what happens is players in themselves, they first don't even know what the game of hockey is about, right? They don't even know. They just think it's, again, it's, a, it's, it's literally just, you know, trying to get through everybody and make a play to the net and score, okay? That's what they think it is. But what the reality of the game of hockey is and what I've learned from other sports, and this is why other sports are very important to understand, is it's the same thing. So if you look at soccer, hockey, basketball, and lacrosse, those games are all about possession. It's all about creating a numerical advantage, defensive and offensively. They're all about time and space, taking it away or, or, uh, or gaining it. And then working and understanding how to move and read cues through your teammates and getting on uh, an ability of reading, of reading the game, right? And so when you understand those elements, and sorry, the last key would be scoring, obviously. But if you understand those things, you start to understand, okay, this game is more than just myself. Because like, if I'm using skating tactics over and over again, but I'm running into my teammates, I'm not understanding space, and I'm just trying to will and leverage my own physical attributes, well, you don't know how to actually work with others. And so when I started to dig into neuroplasticity and how the brain actually connects to the body and forces the body to do things, you quickly understand that playing those smaller games cross from a cross ice element or, or putting them on top of the circle, bottom of the circle and playing a, 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 a very competitive, heavy body game that you're not actually building IQ there. And it's just, it's, it's not really giving the players an, 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 an understanding of the, of the game itself. Um, and so what I, what I have done is I've designed a ton of smaller games, right. That I never moved the nets. The nets do not move um, because I need the players to understand that, the net is always where it is and that's where you're trying to make plays to and around and, and away from. Um, and so I, I use a, I used to use spray paint, uh, but now I use a massive marker and I can find space that way. And I build constraints and numerical uh, situations um, by confining the space around the net using a, using a marker. Um, and I think it's, to me, it makes a lot of sense. Every player that I've worked with on this um, really enjoys the practice and they also see it uh, as this is actually the game. So the more we can create those gamified and, and environmental feels, the players are very good where they're going to start to be able to express certain ways. But the problem with that, with practicing this way is it's a very uncoach. It's, it's, it's not a coach centered approach. Like they, the players really don't need me unless I 
want to point out something that's happening. For an example, like if players aren't attacking defenders with one-handed sticks or they're not threatening between checks, you can actually pick up on that in real time and you're giving players real environments to try it so that when the game comes, they can recall it faster. And that's what neuroplasticity does. It builds a single dirt road pathway in your brain to a six lane highway. The more that you put them in environments, they're going to build more knowledge and build more confidence through their movement patterns and their, their, their puck skills to allow them to make those plays. Um, and so that's where I went with small games. I, I used to see where the net coaches would move all the nets and the nets do all this. And they, they think just by confining space that that's actually going to help foster the player to the next level from a cognitive element. They're just, in, it's incorrect. It's not going to happen. It's the players that have more environmental knowledge from a real time, real game speed setting. They're always going to be the best. And I, I did a study for, for a coach in the NHL on this, where the first line center plays we're going to go eat even math here, but the first line center plays 20 minutes and the fourth line center plays 10 minutes, even strength. And you do it through an 82 game season. Well, the top line center is going to be 820 minutes, real time, real environment, time and space setting from a neurology standpoint, better than the fourth line player. Well, who's going to have more confidence? Well, it's going to be the top line player. So how do you close that 820 minutes? Well, you have to allow and afford the, the fourth line player to work in those environments and practice because you're not going to give that fourth line player more game time. That makes no sense. But you have to give that player real environment ability so that they can mess around and tinker so that they know that when the bell rings and it's their time to make a play in a certain situation, they'll have that knowledge and understanding of that time and space to actually make the play they need to make. So that's really where I, I go with small games. Like I, I don't, I don't move the nets. They stay where they are. And I, and I use, I, I use a marker to confine the space. And then I build, you know, numerical settings uh, based on that and parameters. All right. Well, we can get to parameters later, but let's start with the idea of the, the players really don't need Adam anymore. It's no longer about the coach. Uh, and I like to call these coachless drills. The more we can create coachless ask drills or truly coachless drills, the better, because then we can actually utilize our skill set, which is being outside of the player's own head to draw attention to different areas, to ask questions, to, did you see this? Did you see that? Or what would, what would have this player would have done in this situation and get them thinking? I'm assuming that's where you've come to is like the less that I can do and the more I can just give a problem in an environment and letting players figure it out on their own while I'm there to help mentor, teach, showcase, highlight areas. That's where you're finding much deeper and bigger growth. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's exactly it. Like, but like, this is the thing, like everybody's like, Oh, I'm going to remove myself as a coach. And then I start seeing assembly lines where the entire patterns were explicit. Like you go here, you go here, you go here, you go here, you go here. And when you do that, that's still coach centered approach. Like I want people to understand that. Like as soon as you tell a player where to pass a puck or where to skate, that's coach centered, 100% coach centered. Now, if you're giving them problem solving solutions within a, a, a non set pathway and you're saying, Hey, what if you tried this here? That's giving problem solutions to a player to think about, but you're not telling them that's the only solution. And that's where it becomes more of a, like you give a player three different ideas to problem solve a certain situation. 
and then let them express how they, which one they want to throw in at each time, see if they can recall the, the cues. And this is where, um, again, where like, like I always talk about this, like apparatuses on the ice where you have stationary objects. Well, that actually kills the cognitive elements because the brain now doesn't understand speed, spacing, and cues. And that's where even though you go and you work on apparatus training for an entire summit, you're not going to be ready for the season cognitively. You might physically feel good, but that's the placebo effect. A lot of the training in the offseason that I even I was guilty of was placebo effect. I just made the player feel good going into the season, which there is benefit to that. But at the end of the day, to get them to really actually improve is you've got to get them environmental knowledge. Like that's it. Like and and so that's where you know the more you give them environmental knowledge and, and putting them in situations they're going to problem solve human beings are very smart like mike you think about this when 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 your 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 children are walking you didn't explicitly tell them hey your right foot goes here your left foot goes here tighten your stomach make sure your shoulders don't dip they're in the environment and they learn how to balance walk run they learn those things naturally because they're in the environment and so like my, my kids, you know, they, they jump, they do things uh, on the playground. And, and to me, I, I just came back from the Spoke, Ontario and, and I just told the guys, Hey, we're going to be on the playground the whole time. And I might say a couple of things, try this, maybe move your feet like this here, but we're not going to be doing isolated drills. And after that week, they were like, Holy crap, this is actually going to make me ready for the season. And, and that's because you allow the players to work on things that there, there's no, there's no consequences there's no repercussions and and they're able to figure it on their own because as human beings we are smart and when we have objectives the reason your kids want to go and walk is because they want to keep up so they work on walking and it's faster it's more efficient okay let's that's why they work on walking now they want to run because they want to play with the other kids they want to run they see other kids running so then they're like wow let me start running and then they start working through their own genetics and physical constraints to find a way to run and not everybody runs the same way because we our bodies have different constraints and they all grow at different rates and it's just it's it's incredible so then why are we so focused on techniques and if we're focused on techniques without objectives we're going to find ourselves uh you know just constantly working on the same things over and over again because the players aren't just they're not going to express them and I, that's how what I found. That's what I found working with a lot of players early on. Is I was working on like, hey, like you should skate like this. Your upper body should move like this. And but when they didn't have the objectives to match the motor skill, they didn't transfer. And, and that's where that's where I went down that that pathway of trying to let the players self organize through these games because they're smart enough to move their bodies the way they need to move it if they truly have an objective. Allowing players to self-organize. So I'm assuming like this is an extreme and a terrible example of kind of where we're heading, but I used to actually I still do uh, what I call the coffee game every year where I, I just sit there with coffee and I don't drink coffee. So it's just me with a water bottle, arms crossed and yeah, I'm not doing anything. I'm not making lines. I'm not telling you when to change. I'm not telling you who goes out for the power play PK, whatever you guys have to figure this out. And having kind of like that ownership, it sounds like, general idea of what you're talking about is the players have the ownership. They're becoming more self-aware and the more self-aware they are, 
they realize I'm really good here. I'm not good there because of that. Okay. What are the key cues I need to bend the game into my skill set? That's well, that's exactly right. that's a, yeah that's exactly it and and so like this is an example here where we we get again you know we get caught in trying to blanket movement people like get them all to move like this and move your feet like this and I'll give you an example I, I worked on shooting techniques with a few players and they never transferred the shooting techniques. And that's not because I didn't teach their, them how to move their body correctly. It's because I didn't teach them actually the, the, the timing and the spacing of which how to set it, set it up. And, and to me, when you watch the best players in the world play, and, and this is why like Tom Brady, for an example, is so electric and he's still awesome because Tom Brady knows exactly who he is and what he is as a biomechanical machine. He knows what he can do, what he can't do. So that's why Tom Brady never leaves the pocket. Like he tries to never leave. Well, there's a reason because he, he doesn't have feet to leave. So he has to be able to make his plays inside that pocket within a certain time frame. And so that's why he, you know, you watch Bill Belichick and how he built teams around Tom Brady. Well, he built around Tom Brady because of Tom Brady's constraints. <laughs> that's what he did. That's why he always had a slot receiver. He had a really good tight end because those are outs. Those are outs for Tom. So when Tom got in trouble, boom, he had a little out. And, and he had elite outs and, and that's what he did. He protected them in that regard. And then when they got Randy Moss, he was able to throw it down the field. Right. And, and so those are certain things that when you have players, sometimes you can't just let them go out and play. You got to actually teach them the principles uh, because some, sometimes they don't understand principles because they're young kids. And all they see is when they're on the bench, they see one player go down the ice and score. Well, they try to go out there and do the same thing. Well, no, that you can't do that. You're not, that physically good so you have to understand and stay true to your principles of what the game is inside your own physical constraints um and so that's kind of what i teach guys like i teach them hey this is the game within your body movements how do you create an advantage you can't create an advantage like mcdavid or, or mccarty those guys are, are unbelievable they're physically better than every single player in the national hockey league that's just the way it is and that's okay but now everybody else has to find a different way to solve the problem and that's where we get caught up in, in, in those, in those, uh, those mindsets as players, they, they just see that and like, Oh, I got to do that. That's, that's what will get me noticed. Actually, no, that'll get you crossed off the list more likely than it will get you noticed because you're trying to do things that you are completely not capable of. Yes. Yes. When someone tries to go back to the well and you're like, this hasn't worked for the last four times. Do we really have to do this? Like we should be having to deal with new problems. Like, we're always going to have problems. We're always going to have limitations. But as long as we're growing those into something new and refreshing and we're continuing to process, that's good. If we're doing the exact same thing over and over again, this is when everyone gets frustrated with you and you're off the list on the scouting book and you're moving down the line with the coach too. So, No, no, exa exactly. And this is where, uh, I, again, this is why knowing principles and objectives are so important. Like if you understand the principles of the game, Okay, I got to find the most amount of space. I got to possess the puck. I got to create a two-on-one. I got to create a chance at the net. If you understand those at a high level and you focus on those things, your body will move accordingly. Yes, get in shape, work on your speed. Yes, work on refine your skills. Absolutely. But you're going to hit a ceiling at some point. And your body is not going to be able to get any better in any of those areas. And so at, at some point, you have to make sure that your cognition is at where it needs to be so that you can continuously keep leveraging. This is why Patrick Kane is so good. 
and why he's been so good. He is literally the hockey's Tom Brady. And, and when it comes to that, like he doesn't have explosive acceleration. He has good acceleration, but not explosive. But yet the guy controls the speed of the game over and over and over again. And he's doing the same things for the last however many years he's been in the league. This guy is a genius. He understands his body, what he's able to do, and he just keeps studying the game from a neurology standpoint. And, and that's why he watches the video. He watches video before games and, and, and he understands the patterns of what's going to be going on so then he can leverage them. And, and that's where he's, he's playing chess and everybody else is playing checkers because he understands it has an elite grasp on environmental knowledge. So from a player like Patrick Kane in general, like what would be some things that they need to hold in their mind or what are some things they need to take out of the environment and hold in their mind so they can utilize that to their advantage? So, for example, that could be something such as who's fresh on the ice. Uh, could be direction of someone's skates. Could be general idea of movement of players on the ice. Like what, what needs to be so, held? So this is this is cueing, right? And this is understanding cues. And I go back to this, and I'll leave you with this analogy for now. And so I, I think I talked to you about this. But to obtain someone's – so for someone to obtain a driver's license, there's a process. Right. And the first order to that process is understanding principles of the road. Right. And so when you understand principles of the road, where you go into um, you go into a class and you learn what you know stop signs are, blinkers, brake lights, high beams, you you learn what other people are doing from a nonverbal communication. So those are cues, right? You learn what stop sign, what how many sides are on a stop sign, the color of it, et cetera. And no matter where you are in the world, you're going to be able to relate to those people and communicate with those people from a nonverbal cueing. So what makes guys like Patrick Kane so elite is he's able to work players through those reads in practice and, and, and let them know where some form of predictability is going to be based off of the style of defense that their team's playing. So if they play a swarm, he like says, okay, just release the puck to the open corner. I'll be there because they're going to overload that corner. Boom. It's very, very simple for him to say that um, and, and be able to create that predictability for his teammates to give them those quick outs. Right. And so that's, those are things that he's elite at understanding the handedness of a stick. Yes, that's great. But the only, the only way he could actually understand any of that is if he has an elite understanding of space, where's the space. So then that I have time to recognize those cues. What happens is, is a lot of times these, these people train skill as if it's a reaction to a problem, right? We're reacting to this. No, no, no. Let's be proactive. If more we're proactive, we're going to understand spacing, cueing, and timing. And that's where Kane is. Kane's proactive. He, he knows where the space is, asks for pucks where that space is. And so that, that allows him the affordance to be able to understand those bodily cues, right? So that's what I mean by environmental knowledge, right? Is, is understanding what the other team is doing, where the space is so that then you can make those plays. And I don't think enough players have that because everybody trains from a reactive standpoint. It's reactive. We don't want to be reactive. We want to be proactive. Excellent. So we're, we're trying to find an understanding of the game at first and high level, what we'll call it like the, the meta game, like understanding the big objectives and then from there, allowing players to immerse themselves in, okay, what are some solutions from this? And what can I do from my skill standpoint? And also from a collective standpoint, understanding your teammates and creating predictability of what they're able to do and where they can expect 
you a little bit as well. So I'm assuming this is starting to come down very much into, okay, we know the big ticket items. We're starting to understand the cues and the environment. The next piece is, okay, it's not about me. How do I involve my teammates, whether that be coaching them up or just getting on the same page in some capacity? Well, that's right. That's exactly what it is. That, and, that's, and that's where it goes back to my driver's ed analogy, where can you imagine if we taught human beings how to drive in an open air, airplane runway and all we did is have them drive around cones? Like, and then here's your license, go on the road, good luck to you. I mean, that's essentially what skill development has done over the past 20 years is they put a bunch of things on the, on the ice, made players go around it. And then, Hey, your season's starting. Good luck to you. Where the players never really learned how to communicate with one another. They never really learned how to read, you know, bodily movements and spacing and, and real speed. The process of, of obtaining a driver's license is so, so connected in, in, to, you know, building, you know, sport cognition because there's a process there you have to learn the principles and the cues then you have to actually get environmental knowledge with a driver's ed coach next to you in the passenger seat teaching you those those in real time and then you go with your parents and you get a lot of reps 40 hours or so depending on what state to drive and then you take a test to see if you actually retain the knowledge and recall it so that you can get your license so that you're cleared and then you're going to drive by yourself so there's no distractions so that you can recall things uh, before you have distractions in your, in your mind and building neuroplasticity. There's a whole process to learning, you know, how to work with others and how to, how to read time and space. It's right in front of us. And if you, if you go and you start digging into these things, you're going to understand actually how to build cognition and how to build cueing and how to build reads and how to work with people without even communicating. It's all right there in front of our face. And, And that's really where, I think we have to dive deeper as coaches and, and understand actually how to teach. But the problem with coaching is a lot of times coaches just want to grab drills. Well, I think I told you this before too, is, is when you grab a drill, you don't understand the true purpose of it because every coach should have a purpose of why they're doing certain drills and it should connect to environment and style of play at the same time. So that players can consistently recall movement patterns that can help solve the solutions of those situations. So. Excellent. I'm loving where we're taking this. Um, so we're, we've covered, we've covered quite a bit of ground. Where, where do you think we should take this next? I mean, there's many different avenues we can dive into. What's top of your mind of what you want to talk about? That concludes this week's episode. Thanks for joining us here at Hockey IQ. If you haven't already, take a quick moment to hit that subscribe button, give us a thumbs up, and drop a review. If you want to be a great teammate, even recommend us to a friend. You can follow us at Hockey's Arsenal on Twitter and Instagram. Check out the website, hockeysarsenal.com, where you can subscribe to the weekly newsletter. You won't regret it. Catch you Buttes here next week for a brand new episode.